It's the Plebeian Power Hour. I'm Kim. And I'm Tiffer. Uh, today we wanted to talk about the Federalist Papers. Let's go ahead and get started by talking about what we thought the Federalist Papers were before we started doing any research into what they actually were. So you want to start with that? Sure. I was under the impression that the Federalist Papers were written before the Constitution was written. I had thought that the ideas from the Federalist Papers became part of the Constitution. So I was really surprised to find out that the Federalist, Federalist Papers were written after the Constitution. See, and I actually was totally opposite. Like, what I knew from history class was that Alexander Hamilton and James Madison wrote the Federalist Papers, and, and you know, however it came to my mind, they were after the Constitution existed. And so I really thought it was just them going into, whether it's more detail or explaining what they wanted government to be, but I thought it was all after the fact, that we were years into having the new Constitution. So that was new to me. And what it actually is, is there were three people, Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and John Jay, who wrote 85 essays that were published in a New York newspaper. And they were talking about the Constitution and kind of why it was a good idea to get the other um, states who had not ratified the Constitution or not voted for the Constitution to like it. Well, let's go into the history because you're kind of talking about where oh, yeah. it was. So Lots if you want to go into the timeline, uh, let, let's talk about when the Federalist Papers came out and kind of where okay. we were in the process. So you want to get okay. into that? So all the way back, I went to 1620. 1620 is when the Pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock, which, by the way, I was just in Massachusetts a couple of months ago for the very first time. And my husband wanted to go to Plymouth Rock so bad, and we didn't go. And now I'm really regretting it now that we're talking about, now that I brought this up. <laughs> totally. I could have had some podcast totally. material totally. and you ruined it. I know. I could have had a picture. My own, my own picture. Um, but in 1773, this is probably why it's on my mind. It's because I was just here. They had the Boston Tea Party in 1773. So obviously there is discontent and there is turmoil. And then we have the American Revolution that started in 1775. I had always been under the impression, I have taken classes. I love history. Like, I have taken these classes. It just never occurred to me that... The Declaration of Independence happened a, like a year plus after the Revolutionary War started. And I also did not know that the United States began its governance through the Articles of Confederation before the war ended in 1783. Also fascinating fact, there were 165 principal engagements in that seven and a half years. 165 large-scale or decently large battles that occurred, which also, by the way, <laughs> since I'm nerding out on it this time, I took a nap on Bunker Hill. I took a nap. I know. They have a obelisk that you can climb up. My kids climbed up. My husband climbed up. I took a nap. <laughs> it was a lovely day. It was gorgeous. 
But I, uh, the Articles of Confederation were drafted on November 15th in 1777. And it was kind of more of an agreement between the states. So it says, you know, that they decided that they were going to be called the United States. And then that they would have each state remain sovereign and independent. Um, and it says in Article 2, each state retains its sovereignty, freedom, and independence, and every power, jurisdiction, and right, which is not by this confederation expressly delegated to the United States, which there were hardly any. And in Article 3, it pretty much says that they're just going to be a common defense and have friendship, a league of friendship, and that they have certain um, requirements to pass any kind of rules that they have. So the way I interpreted the Articles of Confederation is every state essentially gets one vote and you need 9 of 13 votes to pass anything. And, and anything you can pass essentially becomes law, but they don't, they don't limit the powers, they don't do anything like that. They just say, hey, if you can get 9 of 13, then 9 of 13 states, states, which each have a certain different number of representatives. But only get one vote. So you mm -hmm. it, that's one of the things that I found kind of confusing is they're like, you can send between, you know, like three and seven people or something like that, but you still only get one vote. Yeah. You can send multiple people, but you guys have to decide and you get one vote. Mm -hmm. And so where we kind of were in the timeline is several, you know, they had gone in and they put forth the new, you know, proposed constitution and... Some of the states were for it, and some of the states weren't against it, and they didn't have that nine-state consensus. So yeah. then became the arguments of you should accept it or not accept it kind of started, and that's what the Federalist Papers really were, was the, the defense and mm -hmm. the promotion of accepting the new Constitution. And they wrote them under a pseudonym, but they were written by the same people who wrote the Constitution, or at least were a few of many who wrote the Constitution. They really, obviously, were pro-Constitution. Yeah, James Madison, I think, is called the father of the Constitution, and he wrote, what, 29, something like that? 50. No, that's Hamilton. Hamilton oh, yeah. wrote 51. Madison wrote something like 29, and then John Jay wrote 5, but he got sick, and uh, he, I, I think it was expected that he was going to write more, but then got ill, so he wrote, I think, five of the papers. And, you know, one of the things that I kind of found interesting with some of that is is that they're involved. You know, James Madison was involved in crafting the Constitution. Alexander Hamilton was part of that delegation. And, I, you know, all of them kind of had been playing parts in either the revolution or the formation of the government. These were kind of pro-government people. And one of the things that doesn't get talked about a lot in history, at least, you know, for me, was that there was kind of this anti-federalist yeah. group. Well, and that's that's actually the first two political parties of the United States were the Federalists and the, like, the, the anti-federalists. Anti because the federal government, there were people that did not want it, very hardcore did not want it, and the people who did. And I imagine this was very fascinating, as they are fighting a war to get their independence from another country. They're then fighting in a non-violent, for the most part, but not even not even completely non-violent, 
about what they are as a country now. Like, that's yeah, fascinating. It, it, it is, it, the whole thing is fascinating, and the, there's so much to look into. So I feel kind of bad because I, I spent a lot of time <laughs> looking into this, trying uh -huh. to learn things. And there are so many more things to learn. And just trying to read, like, there's 85 Federalist Papers. Oh, yeah. But there's also 85 Anti-Federalist Papers. And then you got mm -hmm. correspondence, and then you got kind of the context you oh, know, yeah. that you Once need to you learn about. Once you figure out and, why, because you have Shays' Rebellion, because Federalist Papers number 10 and 51 are two of the most talked about Federalist Papers throughout current history times, like right now. And um, when you go into class, those are the two that they teach you. Well, you can read the entire Federalist Paper number 10 and have no idea the context behind it. And then you have to learn about the 50 other things about the reasons why this was a big deal, including Shays' Rebellion, where the farmers didn't want to be evicted because they'd lost their money because they were fighting in yeah, the they war. Yeah, uh, you know, they just <laughs> fought this war. I know. The economy's not doing well. And no. then the people in charge are like, well, you well, can't pay your bills, so we're taking your stuff. Taking your and, farm. and they're like, well, how am I going to pay my bills? Hey, what, what do you mm -hmm. want from me? And so, the, so they took over the court. They took over the courts and, and, <laughs> and, with, and with weapons. Daniel Shea was one of you know he was an officer in the Revolutionary War. Yeah, and I think and he all, was kind of fed up with some of these. You know, like look, we did a lot for you, and now you're taking stuff from us. And uh, oh, and and then the the government of this this area gave the sheriffs permission to kill any rebels just like on the spot. You know, and so. I imagine there was a whole lot of conflict between, in a, in, I, I say the haves and the have-nots, but really, like, between the people, the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists. Like, well, keep in mind that Federalists doesn't necessarily mean have, and Anti-Federalists doesn't mean have-not, no, but, they, I, I but they do bring that up. Like, that's one thing that they specifically bring up, and it's brought up in, in that Federalist Paper 10, yeah. the way that... It was brought up, I think, I think that one was written by Madison, but the yeah. way it was brought up, it was, he brought up the idea of you got these debtors and you've got, uh, I, I forgot the word that he uh, used, um, but he basically is saying you've got these two factions of, of people and neither one, you know, if you put either one in charge, they're only going to look out for themselves. Yes. So what he's suggesting is, what you want is for this group to have a representative and for this group to have a representative and then to yep. bring those groups together, the representatives, not the, not the groups, but to have the representatives come forward and actually solve the problem in a way that's good for the country. Yeah. So rather than pick one, he, he mentions faction many times. Like yeah. Faction is kind of the key word in 10. But rather than have one faction have power, you would... Give them divide each, the power. Yeah, you divide the power. And so in kind of that, uh, you've got, we'll, we'll say maybe the aristocratic side and the democratic mm -hmm. side, is you've got kind of this high population of uh, the working class that is fed up, and you've got these people that are trying to, you know, get businesses created and whatever. He, he says you shouldn't give power to either one. You've got to get some representative from both so that you get, well, because you were supposed to have a conversation and try to find common ground. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's that the idea. Changed, but that's this is why they wanted a representative republic where you elected somebody and sent somebody 
to represent you instead of having a democratic government. Because um, as the nation grows, you your majority group is going to be less and less, and you're going to have a ton of these other little factions. So if you can have it, I mean, they tried to, to put this in in, um, in the Constitution and in paper number 10, where as the country grows, it would still be able to represent the people. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm, I'm going to snag a few quotes out of there that I got. Yeah. So basically they go on to say that they're trying to guard against what they call the cabals of the few and the confusion of the multitude. And then, you know, part of their other argument is they're trying to protect against what they call the vicious arts by which elections are too often carried. And what they're saying there basically is kind of that demagoguery. You, you know, you get somebody who's either well-spoken or really angry who unites, yeah. you know, people. And they're trying to actually guard against that so that you can select those who possess the most attractive merit and the most diffusive and established character. Right. That's their argument, is that this <laughs> Republican <clearly> style. <laughs> and it, it's really interesting. You know, one of the issues that I kind of have is what they're saying that you're going to get is, and here's a quote, a chosen body of citizens whose wisdom may best discern the true interest of their country, and whose patriotism and love of justice will be least likely to sacrifice it to temporary or partial considerations. And I'd say, yes, that's what you want. And no, that's not what we get. So on paper 51, I actually really love it because he says in it, if we were all angels, we wouldn't need government, which <laughs> is kind of like a mantra of mine where I'm like, if people could govern themselves properly, we wouldn't need any government. But then he's like, but they don't. <laughs> so he he's like, um, there's a part where he says, that they want to enable the government to control the governed and in the next place oblige it to control itself. So this is the separation of powers one where you have the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the judicial branch and how they are supposed to check and balance each other. So you've got the judicial branch of the Supreme Court, which determines the constitutionality of legislative laws and executive yeah, one of the things that I found interesting reading through that is they do a, what I thought was a really good job of explaining why they chose to do some of the things in the Constitution. Mm -hmm. So some of the things to me didn't make a lot of sense. Like if you look at the way we vote for things, we're like, okay, the president's going to be every four years, and the Congress yeah. is going to be every, and the Senate's going to be, and, and you think, let's put them all together. But they specifically say, we're not doing that on purpose. Like, yeah. We want this to be staggered because that will give us a chance to get these checks and balances mm -hmm. rather than say, all right, at this time, you know, everybody out and the new group in, you're still going to have people from, say, the previous regimes or whatever. Yeah. You're not going to get this one-time swing of everything. And I thought it was really interesting. It's, it's the sort of thing that I would never think about. No, but, and learning curve. Like, not everybody's like brand new and wasting time trying to get their feet under them. Yeah, it, it really was interesting. It, it wasn't my favorite. I liked Paper 10 a lot more than 51, but I think 51 was probably a lot more important to the people at the time. Because yes. 51 is kind of explaining to these people, look, we're doing our best to keep government from going out of control. Mm -hmm. 
doing a lot of things. These are the things that we're doing. This is why we're doing them. And I think it probably had a lot more effect on the people at the time than some of these other ones. Well, but. I feel like this clarifies exactly what the Constitution did. So I feel like the other papers kind of explained why they wanted to change things. And this one clarifies what it is that they changed. Like, to say, you know, we are going to have an executive branch. He's not going to have all power, like a monarch. Um, we are going to have a legislative branch so there is going to be representation of each state um they have the ability to impeach the executive the executive branch has the ability to veto any laws that they don't like to appoint the judges and the judicial branch like they they tried really hard and i think fairly successfully to balance the powers although i hope we can talk about later how times have changed <laughs> well, we, we could talk about it you know anything but to me, with the times have changed, like, I, I want to go back and I think everybody should go read Paper 10. Yeah. Is we're in this really contentious time, and it's talking a lot about that and saying, you know, you have to do something to guard against this. This is I, the natural state like... of things is for people to get into this. And, and we did. And we I did. I feel like when I read Paper 10, I was like, holy crap, this is us. I had the same <laughs> thought exactly. Was I, I was reading that going, I feel like somebody like snuck this I in. Know. Like, this does not. And, and the truth is, like, it was such a contentious time then, and this, was, this Constitution was brand new. The Constitution now is pretty accepted, and you got yeah. people, you know, that are maybe. Except for Donald Trump to do whatever he wants to, I, to stop. <laughs> I, I saw that, and I, like at I this point, like, I really am kind of. <laughs> I, I feel like he'll say anything to stay in the spotlight. Oh, my word. But I just think, what? you know, just so you know, like, you're one of the people that they're talking about in some of these. This small faction. When they're truly, talking about, like, the vicious arts of yes, whatever, you know, they, there was well. no social media mm. back then. Oh, and that was word. one of their defenses saying, look, if you get this bigger republic, you're not going to get the one person who can go. They can do that in a small place. Yeah. Like you can get a city behind you if you live in the city, but you can't get 20 cities. You can't cities. get 20 cities, but now you can get 20 cities, 40 cities, 1,000 cities uh, because of the accessibility of information. But it's fascinating because I would argue both sides have way too much influence. And they're the factions, because of the accessibility of information, are massive and enormous and kind of so one of the things that I found I, I, I got this quote that was by Thomas Jefferson that uh, he was responding to something to James Madison and it was another one of those ones that I felt was pretty you could say this today and nobody would know that you're talking about something hundreds yeah. of years ago and what he said was the danger is that people, deceived by a false cry of liberty, may be led to take side with one party and thus give the other a pretext for crushing them still more. Yes. And I think that's it. I, that's what I would say. That's, that's how it is. Because, I mean, it's really funny, and, and I try to wrap my head around it, but as I'm reading number 10, I was like, whoa. But I feel like the reason that it scared them is a completely different reason than what we have now. 
I feel like they were like, oh, watch out. We need to make sure this. We need to make sure that. And now it, they'd be like, what the heck? <laughs> like, how in the world did, like, we were trying to protect the small areas so that they weren't, like, with, with Shay's Rebellion. They come in and they attack this one city and they take care of that one city and take it down. And they want to protect everybody's freedoms from this negative influence. And now it's like just such a giant scale. <laughs> yeah, like, it's a totally different scale. Like this isn't, this isn't, you know, whatever. I don't even remember what city it was. Uh, but it's not just the one location now because we have this broad level of, you know, communication. You can say something and it's heard pretty much immediately yeah. by more people than even existed, you know, yes. at this time. Like this, the scale is totally different. The ability for people to hear the rhetoric is totally different. The understanding and intelligence. Like back then, you had a well-known understanding that you were of a lower education and a lower class than someone else. So you were like, hey, you know, I didn't get a quality education, but that guy did. He might know what he's talking about. But now you have every every person who thinks they are an expert in their field, present company included, who it's like you don't have anybody saying, I understand that my way I'm going to concede to somebody else because of their education level and their maybe understand this. But now we're just well. I think a lot of the reason zoo. that's true is is isn't really necessarily different. It's different in scale, but the same thing kind of existed uh, think, back then. Oh, I guess so. That's so true. let me tell you a quote. This was a guy. Uh, who published, I think, anonymously. He was one of the anti-federalists, which you'll be able to tell when I give the quote. Um, but he was writing anonymously, and he says, you know, in, in the back counties of Pennsylvania where the well-born have no influence, the opposition is said to have become so powerful that a person would be in danger of losing his life if he uh, ventured to speak in favor of the Constitution. So that's also something now. Like, that, I mean, you might... No, some people, I think, are at risk of losing their lives with what they say. But, I mean, when you consider you could lose your livelihood, you could yep. lose, like, like, even if you don't lose your life, you can lose so much because the opposition has become so powerful on both sides that everybody kind of... Yeah, and my, my opinion is the fight sides, they, they fight differently. Yes. You've got... You know, like like this guy from Pennsylvania who's saying, you know, in the backwoods, you know, you might lose your life. Well, that's not how the other side would fight. The other side's just like, I'm going to take your property. You know, I'm going to take <laughs> this. And, and it's not really that different today. Is there, you know, one of the, if, if you look at what some of the populists on the right are saying, is that you've got these people on the left who are like, you know, you have to talk like, you know, this is what you can say, this is what you can do, and if you don't do this, we're kicking you off, you know, social media, or you're losing yeah. your job, or whatever, and the people on the right can't fight like that. So the way they fight is different, and it, you know, it really is like in my mind, Shay's Rebellion would be closer to like the January sixth sort of thing. Yes, and it, people would have been thrilled, and, <laughs> like, as in like a 
gigantic portion a of the gigantic population portion. would have been thrilled and the other half would have been horrified. And the other half would have been horrified. But back and then, it's just it's one city. It was just one city and they didn't have to worry. Uh, you know, it, it can't spread fast. Basically, yeah. you get to calm down before any of the stuff can spread that fast because it, it can only spread as fast as somebody can walk. You know, if you want to cross country with some of these things, it's not going to be fast. Uh, so, like, it's a, even when you think of, you know, how it was seventeen seventy three with the Boston Tea Party, and then you're in a war two years later. Oh, that wouldn't happen now. If everyone's mad enough in seventeen seventy three, yeah. now we would be having conflict in seventeen seventy three. Yeah, it would happen so much faster now than than then. Ooh, that's another thing. When I went to Massachusetts, as I saw where the first shot was fired, it was actually a really ridiculous story <laughs> where I got, they don't have cell phone reception in that area. That so blows my mind. Apparently, it's considered very low class to have cell phone towers in this Concord, Lexington area of Massachusetts. And... They use their data from satellites. You know how you pay for data. That's what makes it high class. So they don't have cell phone towers. I don't understand exactly how it works. This is what was being told to me, though. Um, so we had no cell service. So we're trying to get an Uber. We're at Walden Pond, and there is no cell service. And we cannot get an Uber away from Walden Pond. And I'm like, oh, my word. So finally long story hours of stuff we end up me and my half of my kids and mom in my car and then hours later my husband and my boys in another car and we ended up in Lexington Concord area and we had to walk three miles from this house all the way back and we passed the actual literal I mean, that is the, the road that they took when they started the war. They started the war when the first shot was fired. Didn't they call that something like, like a freedom walk? Like there's something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think you, so. And they've got it uh, kind of a tour thing where you can walk along and see a lot of those. And I did. And I have to tell you, as big as a history site person as I am, I'm not sure how I feel about this walk because they're like, nothing looks the same. It would have looked completely different, but it was beautiful. But it how could it beautiful. not? Like, it's not really... It's been hundreds of years. It's been hundreds <laughs> of years, and nobody's going to want to live in the sort of places that they lived in back then. You know, they don't want to no, live in do. those houses. No, they do. Well, it's... Because they don't have, like, electricity or outdoor toilet or indoor toilets. I'm, well, I mean, they, you know, there like, weren't that many houses. That's probably... So they I've do have an there. original house. That was there. They have another house that was burnt down, and they have some other houses that are currently being lived in. But they had, you know, regular houses and people live there. But they have. It used to be no trees, completely farmland, and now they've let tons of trees grow back. So you have hundreds of years of tree growth, and they're like, just imagine <laughs> it was farmland. Okay. I'll imagine. So it's not like you're walking in there, you know, <laughs> through McDonald's and other things. No, it's just that it's the open. landscape is, is the, different. The landscape is just, you're kind of in the middle of trees. So it's still beautiful, really beautiful. But it's not like you're really taking a walk back into 
Pleasant. Everyone should go visit the history spot. Just should. Except yeah. for get your transportation figured out and don't rely That's on right. Uber. So let's kind of get back to the, the Federalist Papers as we were talking about some of the, I guess, concepts, some of the sales points, I guess, that the Federalist Papers are making. And to me, like one of the big things, it, it's really more of an anti-Federalist point. It, it was the concept of the Bill of Rights. That a lot of people pointed to the Constitution, which at the time, so let's go back to kind of the timeline, when the Constitution was written, there was no Bill of Rights. The first, yep. you know, ten amendments did not exist, and a lot of people thought that was a problem. You know, they, they've got this new form of government that's got, you know, this executive branch, which they're kind of skeptical of, and this judiciary branch, and they're thinking, you're, you're going to give more power to the the government than we want the power to have, you know, make sure that you're protecting our rights. And it was it was really kind of interesting to me because some of the responses from the Federalist Papers, like, actually, like, they, they kind of made me mad. You know, one of them, Why? well, so let me give you this quote. This is a quote from Alexander Hamilton in, in one of his. Uh, so he, he first goes on and says, hey, look, there are, there is a Bill of Rights in there. You can see... You know, look, we got uh, habeas corpus and ex, you know, post facto stuff already written in the Constitution. But then he says, this is his quote, and he says, I go further and affirm that bills of rights in the sense and to the extent in which they are contended for are not only unnecessary in the proposed Constitution, but would even be dangerous. <laughs> and let, let me explain his context, because it, it sounds really bad to me. Yeah. But basically what he is saying is if you put the rights in there, you are saying the government gets to control things. But if you don't put the rights in there at all, the government doesn't have that control. It's kind of the idea of like a whitelist or a blacklist. Is Do I want to have to list every right that I should have, or uh -huh. do I just want to assume I have every right that's not listed? You know, unless I list it, I have that right. And... You know, people came out with some pretty emphatic arguments saying, you know, that's not really true. Just because you don't list it doesn't mean they're not going to take it. And before some of the states would accept it, they basically said, you're going to need to put a Bill of Rights in. And there was kind of a compromise saying, we will do a Bill of Rights, but please, you know, let's get this through. Well, what's funny is, you know, Amendment 10 is... Um, powers retained by the states in the Senate, where that was like Amendment 1. The states still wanted a lot yeah. of their own innocent sovereignty or, or ability to govern their own, their own people. But a lot of the other ones are individual people rights. Like, it's, it's I would have thought that they were, you know, leaning more to state rights, which is in there. But to have, you know, no soldiers or so here's some context of why okay. some of those things exist there is if you look at the new constitution i i can't remember i think it's in like the first section like article eight i don't remember how they're even named but it's basically saying congress has the power to make laws for this and this and this and this and this and then at the very last sentence in there it says something you know that basically they can make any law that they want 
and, and that gave the federal power, and it, it's not any law that they want. It says anything that would help them do any of the above things, which yeah. is a, a large list, and everybody interpreted oh, that. so broad. Yeah, you can yeah. make that mean anything. Which and is, uh, today they, ha they and, have. And they have. <laughs> so what they were saying is you, you've given the government the ability. We want, you know, we want to make sure that you never do anything against this, and you never do any. So they were afraid because it specifically said in the Constitution that Congress can come in and just make, you know, any law any that they law. want. So they, it was, and then the state one was, that, that was another, you know, one of the reasons that people didn't want to ratify the Constitution is they all had their own Constitution. They'd already come up yeah. with their own rules, and they're saying, hey, we're doing fine. We don't, you know, we don't want to lose the stuff that, you know, we we had our own debates and our own fights and our own whatever, and this is what we came up with, and we don't want to lose it. And so they said, hey, you know, put put that in there. And, and it kind of amuses me because there was a quote that I'm going to read that basically they, they it, it was put in all caps. This was them yeah. yelling, and it this was <laughs> Hamilton saying, states neither lose any of their rights nor are discharged from any of their obligations by a change in the form of their civil government. So he's saying you're not going to lose any of your rights. You have yeah. all the state rights. So so going back to some of the context of why they wanted to put, you know, the presidential, you know, uh, branch in there, the executive branch, they're saying we're too slow to act on a lot of these things. And same thing with the judiciary yeah. is, is they're saying, look, we don't have any power over the state. So even if nine of 13 states say, hey, we want to do this, if one of the states doesn't do that, we can't do anything. Yeah. We have no power, so we need the ability to, number one, act faster. So that's one of the things that they wanted the president to do was, you know, if we need to go to war or if we need to talk to another country or if we, we, if we have to get nine of 13 people to agree on something, it'll be so slow, so let's give somebody that power. So they're trying to, you know, give power. They're trying to solve problems. And right. what people are saying is, well, when you solve these problems, don't take our rights. And so that was, you know, one of the big states' rights and bill of rights. And which, hasn't that changed <laughs> over, as in, like, not yes. the process, but the balloon. The idea. The balloon of power that was originally intended. Yeah, states will shifted. neither lose any of their rights. <laughs> try, try and absolutely. say that today, you know, with a straight face. <laughs> Oh, I know. I mean, as soon as a change of power happens in the White House, there's like a slew of things that change for everybody with all of their different bills they sign really fast. Yeah, and there <laughs> seems to be a general disregard. And, and it makes me mad because if you go back and look at the context of what people had to fight really hard to get this stuff in the oh, Constitution. Yeah. Those, that years. Bill of Rights wasn't in there. For years. That Bill of Rights yes. was not there, and people basically were, were fighting to say, you got to put it in there. And many of the states wouldn't sign unless they you know, were to get that Bill of Rights. And uh -huh. to, I, I'd, I became a kind of a James Madison fan yeah. after reading some of this, because he was the one who really did say, look, we got to push this Bill of Rights. People won't sign, so we're going to tell them, we're going to convince them to, to ratify now, and we'll put the Bill of Rights in as soon as we can. And he did that. And, and I don't know that that would happen anymore. If you make None the promise, and then as soon as you get what you want, you <laughs> oh, don't care about oh, what you said sure. you were going to do. 
I find it really interesting because when I when I step back and I look at it, I think, you know, in this day and age, like we recently had COVID and so they wanted people to get vaccinated. So there was a gigantic campaign to inform people about the reasons why. But back then, this is the gigantic campaign and it's only being printed in one city and maybe that city has you know delivery I say that's places. not fair because it a lot of these got reprinted yes so they would put it, it in did. in one paper and then it would get reprinted in but other how papers slow. i was how, wondering that too i actually wish i knew 270 that. some odd pages of stuff that's for clarify. the Federalist Papers. Don't forget there's Anti-Federalist <laughs> oh, yeah. Papers. And that's for these oh, three. Gosh. That's for what survived. Because oh, these were gosh. not the only Federalists. There were other people. Who were and, and we don't get to see a lot of that because it doesn't, you know, you can't talk about everything in history. But there was so much more yeah. going on than just the Federalist Papers. And I imagine with anything, <laughs> you have, you pick and choose. But, I mean, and this is the con, like, this is the Constitution in the sense that you are changing the entire government for the country. And so it is huge, but this is so much information, not a PowerPoint or a 30 second video explaining why, like it would come out now. Well, it's it so all, a lot of the stuff is so brand new to, to people. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Henry basically said, you know, what we're doing now, this is as much of a revolution as what we did against England. Yeah. Like you are changing things in such a, a different way. This is huge. Yeah, there weren't other countries that, that operated this way. This was this was a more brand new way to have a country. Yeah, it, it really is. Monarchies were huge. Dictatorships were probably pretty big. But as in like one person was in charge. Yeah, one person was uh, in charge of most countries. One of the things that I kind of liked and I wish I knew more about is, is that they do spend some time in the Federalist Papers going and talking about other republics and other, you know, going oh, back really? to Greece and Rome. And, oh, yes, you know, they, they talk yes, about a lot of those true. things because apparently... But those were democracies. So, so a lot of them were, but were they, they did talk about some, some republics. And, and one of the things that they brought up too is... Oh, that's true. There are, you can say republic, Plato's and republic. this means different than this, and this, you know, this country does it like this. You know, republic is actually a very broad term, the way it gets used. Yeah. So they're trying to, you know, this is what our republic means. Well, that's true. And, and I didn't think of going back so far. But I don't, and I guess, I don't know. It doesn't go back that high. But I do know, you know, back then, you were pretty limited in what you knew based on the countries that spoke the same language as you. And so other English-speaking languages in those countries. There weren't many because you had England. <laughs> and then England took over the world, and then English became a worldwide language, but in many ways. But, you know, there really, there's not much more to that. I'm sure, which is actually something that they brought up several times in the Federalist Papers. One of the arguments that, you know, that people who didn't want uh, essentially a federal government, they wanted the state governments. Yeah. They didn't want to have this national government. And one of the big arguments that they're making in these papers is, look at Europe. Like, if you don't 
unite, you, you'll be fighting each other. <laughs> like, you can't last that long because you're going to find that you got your economic interests and, you know, the, the way you govern don't match with what other people want. So if we don't band together, we'll be fighting each other. And not only that, but other countries are going to use it against us. Oh, they, how easily pulled. I mean, even with our states, we have states that kind of group together and they're like, uh-huh, look what we do. Look at the, you know, we have it the better way. If they were completely different countries, <laughs> like, so that would be hard. They, they theorize, and I don't remember what the paper w was or the exact words, but they basically theorize that if we just keep going, what's going to happen is we're going to end up in three or four confederations. This group and this group yeah. and this group are all going to go together because they have common interests. And then they're going to find that it's in their best interest not to align with one of the other groups or to align with foreign entities, you know. Uh -huh. And they say, look, foreign entities are going to be coming after us. One of the quotes. Oh, for sure. It says, you know, for sure. divide and command must be the motto of every nation that, you know, hates or fears us. Is they're going to be pitting us against each other. They're going to, you know make an alliance with one group but not the other group, and we will be fighting each other. Well, because when it talked about the judicial branch, and then it, um, we have the different, what do you call them, judicial circuits? The circuits, circuits yeah. The, like the appeals courts, and how they have different chunks of the land that are each in that, and uh, it's very fascinating, especially, I believe it's number nine, we have 12 months. Um, I do not remember. And they have, yeah, it's number nine. Because they have California, and they have Washington, and they have Oregon, which I feel like, as a whole, probably have more people that line up and agree with each other than they do the other states, which is Montana, Idaho, Nevada, and Arizona. And I'm like, it's so interesting to see how that divvies up because I know even California has a group in the north that are like, no, we don't want to be part of Southern California. You know, they don't want to have the same laws. They don't want to have the same regulations. They don't like it. And so I could definitely see that there would be breaking up and that other countries would like Yeah, I'm sure. And, and honestly, I don't I don't know what, you know, what way is best. I don't know that one's better than the other, but I think if you don't make an attempt to, to come together, that, like they say, factions are what's going to happen. And you will divide because you'll find the people who have the common economic interests or the, you know, common, uh, you know, religious or whatever, whatever it is, they'll find each other, they'll kind of unite, yeah. and if you're not, careful if you don't do your you know due diligence or even you know one of the things they bring up is when you're the majority you you can be your, uh, the tyranny you know yeah. it doesn't matter if you think you're good bad whatever the people who aren't the majority aren't necessarily going to like that you're coming in with these you know laws or saying yeah this is the way it is so they're trying to make people cognizant of look there's other groups out there so do not, you know, use your uh, authority or your power to harm these other groups. And like I say, I think in the tenth paper they're saying if we break it up and do, you know, kind of a public style government, that should alleviate that. And in 
theory that works in practice. I but nothing so else sure. works. Nothing like else if you works. think about it, this isn't this is a bad this isn't a bad way for it not to work. Like there are other ways that are way worse for it to not work. If I I I'm still pro all of these things even though it doesn't fit well all the time. So here's my kind of long spiel on that is if you go back and look at what Aristotle was saying about government, is he says you got three main types of government. You got government by one person, which he calls a monarchy. You got government by many people, aristocracy, and you got government by the majority, democracy. Any one of those can basically choose to rule only in favor of itself. Any one of those can be just as tyrannical as the other. Like you don't get to to say, yeah. like, this is the best one. These guys would never be mean, you know. In a, if you have a democracy, the majority of people would never be mean to minority. That's ridiculous to say. Like, <laughs> nobody even believes that. No. And what I thought of the U.S., you know, Constitution style of government is they're kind of taking each one of those. So they take, okay, let's go with the executive branch. Which the executive branch yes. is kind of the monarchy. Then you got your Senate, and the Senate to me is kind of the aristocracy. Is This is the few, and then you got your House of Representatives, which would be closer to the democracy, where you're like, all right, let's get a bunch of people in here. And, yeah. and we obviously, to me, a democracy isn't feasible for most things. Like, you could maybe right. vote on certain things. And we do, and in some ways. but In some, but the most way that we do a democracy <laughs> really is a representative. Is like, we're, re we're putting a representative out there. It for the, the larger levels, the, but if you have the say, democratic a city, vote, yeah, cities yes. and even states. Like uh -huh. I remember, state laws, states will put out laws, things saying, "Hey, what do you guys and you vote?" vote? On it. Mm -hmm. And you can actually vote on so the law. So you get to have your individual say, just not on larger things like you vote on taxes. And and there's probably really good reason to do that because if you get into these people who are afraid that they're taking states' rights and that they're doing whatever, if yeah. you go and say, "Hey, we're going to have a democracy." Right now, the people in California get to decide how everything works. Like, people in Wyoming oh, yeah, have zero say. Like, so Wyoming's got 500,000 people. <laughs> California's yes. got 60 million people. Yeah. They don't want to be you could, you beholden could to what the... the entire West put together, and you still wouldn't have anything close yeah. to what's in California, especially if you add, like, Oregon and Washington to that. And, and like, so if you look at it on the government level, you, yeah. California has more power in the House of Representatives, mm -hmm. but they have an equal amount of power. Exactly. That's the way that you convince Wyoming that they're not getting dominated by California yeah. is, look, you've got two people who have just as much votes as California does, so you're not going to just be under their rule. You got, yeah. and I, to me, it's kind of amazing that we came out with the system we have. Yeah, and I... It, it feels broken. It, it feels really broken right well, now, but it's amazing. Well, that's because we don't amazing. have the angels that we need. We don't have order, the angels. In order to not need this. And you you just can't plan. You just can't plan for every scenario, especially as, as time changes and, uh, and the world changes and gets more complex. It's everything else is complex. Yeah. Which is Everything's crazy complex. Most people I don't think... I'm one of them. have no idea how to run a country. No idea. I don't do. know what it takes. Don't know. I would be really, really weak. <laughs> and I don't know because I think, 
you know, you need to make sure you're keeping, the, you know, the water running, the power right. on, doing whatever. And, and I don't think anybody understands what it takes to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, you, it, it one of the big things right now, like the environmental, you know, people who are saying, hey, we shouldn't use gas or coal. And the people are saying, well, then how how are you going to do this? Yeah. Like, you, you are not ready for that. No. And you, not for maybe another two or three decades. Like, and, and that's if you're putting a ton of energy into yeah. getting these changes. Like, But, yeah, part of the reason I think you mentioned the angels, you know, we don't yeah. have those. But they mentioned the, you know, the vicious arts. That's what I feel like a, a lot is going on. Yeah. Is, and, and there were problems back then. You can read some of the rhetoric back then. It is, you know, some yeah. of it. I actually think the Federalist Papers are pretty reasonable. Like, they're, they're, you can actually see some of the modern, well, they're not modern, obviously, but some of the political tactics of, you know, putting the other party down sort of thing. You can yeah. see a lot of that stuff in there where you're not necessarily making just an honest argument. You're, you know, not necessarily trying to deceive, but you're trying to influence. Yeah. And, and you can see that in both sides. You know, you can see that happening then. But they're making reasonable arguments in pretty much every paper. Yeah. They really are. And I feel like we've lost. We've lost a lot of reason in general because I think a lot of people these days seek out information and they don't seek out the change. And I think as a whole, we are a very confused country population-wise, even though there's a ton of information out there. But when it comes to foundational, I mean, I like this stuff and I still didn't know this stuff. You know, talk to somebody who doesn't like this stuff, they probably don't even know about the Federalist Papers, you know, or you know, so many different things. I, I think it would be to the benefit of America to to learn that people knew what we were founded on and why these decisions were made. I agree, and I think even knowing some of the arguments that, you know, I don't, necessarily just want people to get kind of the, what I call the trivial parts of history where yeah. you're like, 1776, this happened. I I want them to see, you know, there were tons of discussions on the, you know, factionalized nation. You know, yeah. they're, they're talking about this is what we need to do to kind of temper some of these, you know, factions. You know, we're what we're trying to do is make a good country. So I don't know... Uh, if there were any other topics that you wanted to bring up, uh, there was one interesting thing that I never got to that I just thought Do it, it. it was really just, this one's just an argument that they were saying for the Constitution. It's mm. the argument that James Madison made was if you have a sick patient, which you know that's what he's saying under the Articles of Confederation, we're not able to do what we need to do. So you got this sick patient. If you have a sick patient and he goes to the doctor, the best doctors that you can find, the doctor prescribes a remedy. If you do that and the doctor prescribes a remedy and you get a bunch of people saying, you can't follow that remedy, that remedy will kill you, it's poison, you still need to do something about that sick patient. You have a sick patient and he's saying, go ahead and give a counter proposal, give your remedy and let's choose but let's do something. And I think that that was one of the things that pushed a lot of people is 
look, we got a problem. We need to fix the problem. Maybe this isn't 100% the best, but it's the best that we can come up with. So I just thought that was really interesting, and I really liked his patient argument. I thought that was pretty good. And I'm going to read one of his quotes, too, that he's saying to the, to the people that are opposing the Constitution, or the, yeah, the, the Constitution, he says, it's, you know, a matter of wonder and regret that those who raise so many objections against the new Constitution should never call to mind the defects of that which is it, or which it is to be exchanged for. You know, it's not necessary that the former should be perfect. It's sufficient that the latter is more imperfect. So That's a good Let's move towards something better and not not do it just because it's not perfect. Right. So I, I really liked his arguments on that. Like I said, he's James Madison kind of, apparently he was like 5'4 and 100 pounds. <laughs> but he, he kind of <laughs> comes out as the hero. It is kind of funny because. Little guy. Yeah, little guy. And in, in my mind, he's kind of the, the hero. Yeah. He wrote. He, helped put the Constitution forward. He came up with very, very reasonable discussions in a time when people weren't having reasonable discussions and ultimately got us to this government that we've been under for hundreds of years. So what is one last interesting thing that you think we should know about the Federalist Papers? Ooh, about the Federalist Papers? Yeah. Uh, that's a... Or any of them. Any so, of this history that you've delved into and learned about this week. What is your most fascinating thing that you still want to touch on? Well, the most fascinating thing that I wanted to bring up really was that there was a letter sent to George Washington in like 1782 where one of his officers is basically telling him that the you know current government is ineffective and that they should put George Washington in as king, and, and it was really interesting because like the it's it, it's in the National Government Archives and the last sentence is along the lines of you know I trust this will be confidential and that nobody will <laughs> and, and that that's known to, to everybody now. Online. But I thought that was really interesting. And the arguments were a lot of the same arguments that were the reason for the Constitution to change, which was the Army wasn't getting paid, and they couldn't get effective ways to raise taxes because it all went to each state, and each state did it different. And so they were on something you know, like uh, half pay for some and no pay for others. And he just said, hey, we got we to gotta change this. and I got a plan to put you in as king, and and you know, obviously George Washington said no, thank you. But I thought that was really interesting. What about you? Did you anything you picked up or learned? Well, in in the number ten, I it's on either paragraph four or but maybe the fourth or fifth or sixth paragraph is. Um, Really, I thought it was really fascinating how first he's talking about stopping the formation of factions and limiting the power of factions and how those are your two options and neither of them are 
<laughs> so I, I have that down as quotes, and I want to oh, give the do? quotes because I like it when people get the actual quote rather uh, than this is what I think it means. But, sure. Uh, he says, there are two methods of curing the mischiefs of faction. The one by removing its causes, the other by controlling its effects. There are again two methods of removing the causes of faction. The one by destroying the liberty, which is essential to its existence. The other by giving to every citizen the same opinions, the same passions, and the same interests. Yeah. And then he goes on to say, you can't really do you that. You can't do that. And that is, that is a bad thing to even try to do that. He says that the relief is only to be sought in the means of controlling its effects. Yeah. It's going to be there. It's going to be you there. It's okay limit. that it's there. It's, it's better than not having it Checks and balances. <laughs> it's going to be there. You're just trying to make sure that the crazy guy doesn't bowl the whole yeah. thing over. And that's, I like that. I thought that was really good, too. I, I really did, too. I thought, and like I said, everybody should read 10. Everybody you don't should need read to read everything, too. but... Yeah. Read ten, read fifty one. It and then you can casually go over the others. <laughs> yeah, or or not, you know. Read At the very first. Read, read the cliff notes, but read all of ten. <laughs> but it just gives a a great background to the Constitution and why it's so important. Yeah, it, I thought it was fantastic. But anyway, I think that'll do it. We're gonna wrap up now. Thanks for anybody uh, yeah. who listened. Bye.